Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, your co-host today, and I'm here today with one of my favorite stand-up comedians and the author of a really, really great book about cats. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Yeah. Hi, my name is Liz Mealy, and my book is called Why Cats Are Assholes. It's such a good book and such a good title. Um, Like every time that I have pitched the book to somebody now that I've finished it and I'm like proselytizing for it, like the title just wins them over immediately. (laughs) I feel like the title and then you you saw me when I was on stage. It's the cat butthole page numbers that I really (laughs) think like, come on, guys, like every page number is a cat butthole. And that just that's a level of uh, detail that I'm proud to be associated with. Yes. Yeah. It's really such a beautiful little, just like bow on the whole thing, like the celebration of cats. Um, so yeah, let's get into the book. Um, so you are the daughter of veterinarians and you are also a comedian who tells not only cat jokes, but a, a, like a, a good amount of cat jokes. And um, you of course have cats. So you have like this professional and personal interest in cats. How did you go from loving them to joking about them to writing about them? I like how you said a good amount when really it's like an unnecessary amount. Like, it, <laughs> like, like it's funny that I feel like I was allowed to do it because I was a big Paula Poundstone fan. So like I grew up watching Paula Poundstone who had cat jokes and I hadn't heard anybody talk about cats. You know, occasionally you have the like cats and dog debate kind of silliness, but this was just like a celebration of their weirdness. And so I used to quote her and I think that influenced me to be like, I can talk about whatever I want and whatever interests me. So, um, but I've taken it too far. (laughs) And uh, I even had like a guy that didn't know my work come out to a show in Utah and was like, Hey, I really enjoyed your show, but there were too many cat jokes. And I just was like, that is your opinion. Like that's (laughs) too many, like too many. Really? I think you just don't understand how good they are. But, um, what was the original (laughs) question? I had to just clarify that. Oh yeah. No, I'm amount of cat jokes. (laughs) I I agree that there's no such thing as too much. And that's my own personal bias as like a cat person (laughs) as well. But I do think he is objectively incorrect about that. Um, Yeah. But how did you go? How did you get into uh, like writing about them? Where'd this book come from? Um, So because I have a lot of cat jokes, one of them, I don't even remember what I titled it, but I put it online and it was basically from I think my first hour, which was uh, no one, no one like buys a cat, like something bad has to happen to you. And then they kind of fall into your life. (laughs) Um, And that did well and got a lot of people's attention. And there was actually an editor that wanted that had the title already had the title, like knew that it was they suck and wanted somebody to write it from a loving perspective because him and his wife have two cats together. And it really is like people are either anti-cat or they're just blind in love with them. And I think I have this kind of the same way I have a very strong self-awareness of the good and bad that is me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have that same kind of awareness when it comes to cats. Like they're my favorite thing, but they have, I mean, he's going to, yep. Yep. That's 
That's him. <laughs> just, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just destroying. He woke me up at 6 a.m. because he knocked over everything on my dresser. And then I couldn't get back to sleep. And I was just I, like the amount of times like my upstairs neighbors had a baby. And he was so funny. He was like, hey, just let me know if you can hear the baby. And I was like, and what are you going to do if I do hear your baby? Like, what <laughs> what, what are you going to do? But he has to hear me be like, Abby, Abby, abs, just screaming. Like what he can, he knows I don't have a kid. He knows that. <laughs> so I think he this uh, editor wanted somebody that had this kind of loving perspective of what sucks about cats and found that joke and then found all my other stand up and we had a meeting and he was like, well, how would you write this? I pitched how I would write it. And it was funny when my manager like sent me that forwarded me the email that he wrote. She was like, would you be interested? I was like, would I be interested? I was like, I've been waiting. I've been <laughs> waiting for this email. I can't believe it came now and not 10 years before. So I think it's, I've weirdly been slowly building up all these ideas. Some of them were just like anecdotes. I would tell my friends. Some of them were just jokes that hadn't been finished. Some of them were little essays I didn't do anything with. And then a bunch was like research to really build up um, a little bit of history of why cats are the way they are. Because I think we all see them. Like my cat was just sleeping in my sink. I have a water cat. I've never had a water cat before. <laughs> he's obsessed. I mean, he plays with his little water. He's biting me now. Come on, bud. You're making me look bad. Um, but he um he he loves playing with what like whenever I do the dishes, he's fascinated by it. I turn the when I turn the shower off, he doesn't want to be in the shower with me, but he watches me shower and then I leave the door open when I'm done showering and he just kind of like plays in the puddles. Like I've never <laughs> I've never had a water cap before. So like even I learned a lot from doing the research of this because some stuff just feel like weird habits and feel um uh just I don't know, quirky for no reason. And I think this book actually made me understand that a lot of these quirks are necessary. Like the fact that like my first cat pasta didn't, she wouldn't drink out of um, her water bowl. She would only drink out of my glass. So it's just like, it was just so frustrating, but eventually you just kind of go, okay, well this glass, I'm going to pretend to drink from it, but it's really pasta's glass. <laughs> and then I learned, and I learned way too late that that's like, that's a survival habit that they don't like still water that it's dangerous in the wild and that by a seeing you drink it, but also it being always changed, not just sitting there for a couple of days, it's a safer water. Hence why like now my bougie cat has a fountain with a filter, probably has cleaner water than I do and fresher, just, or, you know, and he still drinks out of my cups, which is not okay. But I, I think this was like, not only just kind of a silly love note to cats, but also a clarification that like, weird habits and things that they're doing actually are probably very um, useful at some point, maybe not in our homes as they're like knocking stuff over, mm. but, but there there's a method to their madness. Absolutely. And like, you kind of like you, you teach us their language a little bit, you know, cause I think that like a lot of people assume that cats are like hostile or aggressive or rude, but just mm -hmm. like the ways that they say, I love you you know, inhuman tend to be things that you do to people you don't like, you know, but for like, they, they yeah, are, yeah, yeah, you know. in the face. <laughs> yeah, like the button in your face is a real honor, but it just doesn't like feel like one when it's happening, you know. <laughs> and I mean, he's a kitten, he's gotten really big, he's seven months, and he's like really big, but like, I actually might have to kick him out. He just <laughs> learned how to, so he goes on my printer, and then he jumps up there, and he tries to get stuff. So we're gonna pause it for two seconds as I kick my cat out. No worries. Hey, hey. <laughs> 
pure chaos that you hear in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Um, Come on, bud. It'll be like a very immersive listening experience for, for our, our listeners. <laughs> What's funny is you can't do that with a child. We're like, let me just kick my kid out. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to tell my baby to entertain himself. But he, he will, he like, he's just, he, un, he got to the level of jumping to the highest point in every room. And it is quite destructive. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, that would, that's going to be, he was sleeping when we started, but then he <laughs> wanted to be a part of this conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm honored, you know, like, yeah, they... yeah. he was like, I read. Why, why am I not being interviewed? I read. I love sitting on books. You know, it's my, one of my, my favorite. Yeah. Hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> um, could you tell us a, a little bit? I, I'm, I don't want this question to come across as too, too intimate, but like, can you tell us a little bit about like your cat relationship history? Like who are the cats you've loved? Um, the ones that are in your life right now? Um, do you have any favorite, like, you know, literary or movie cats? <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so my, I had two cats when I was younger, Max, who ended up living like a very long life. I think he died at like 19 and he was like the family cat. Um, and then Sancho's who was honestly the better cat, but he had like a, like a heart issue and he died after like a year of having them. But like Sancho's used to like sleep on your face and I like loved Sancho's. And then, you know, when your parents are vets, you're like, fix it. Like just that's, isn't, isn't that what you do? But he, he died from this, like, heart defect, very young. Mm. And that was like heartbreaking, but Max was cool. I mean, Max was Max. Like you just kind of loved Max, but like I, Max was there as opposed to, I feel like, um, I don't know if it's because it was a family cat or because it was a big house and he could go wherever he wanted. But I feel like I was much closer to the cats that I ended up picking and then being mine. So my first cat was pasta who I got when I was 19 I went off to college and I just was like, I didn't, I've never not lived with animals. Like we've had every animal in our house, like you name it, we had it. We had chameleons, we had lizards, we had rats, we had mice, we had hamsters, we had um, uh, uh, dogs, we had cats. Like, I mean, there's five kids. Like there was just like, it was a zoo, ferrets. Like we had everything. And then to just go to a dorm and like, I was like, it was almost kind of weird. And I think I still struggle with like just taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I think I talk to myself a lot and it makes me feel less crazy having somebody just look, at least make eye contact where I'm just like, Jesus Christ. And then he's like, yeah, tell me about it. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> so pasta was such a, a big part of my, my life, especially because I got her as a kitten. It felt like she was mine. And in the book, I just talk about how she was like, not great. Like she was even kind of what I'm dealing with abs right now is he's just, He's a kid. I just, I, and I write how kittens suck in my book. Like they are the cutest, but they are also just, I didn't even think I had the energy at 19, but now at 37, I do not have the energy. This is crazy. Like I will never get a kitten again. They kittens are like other people's kids. They're great to babysit, but I don't want the responsibility. This is insane. <laughs> even at seven months, I'm like, mom, when does it end? She's like, it might not be until a year and a half. And I'm like, you better grow up. Like, <laughs> I'm like, get, get a job. Um, he's just, especially because I'll be gone half the night. He sleeps while I'm gone. So then when I'm getting ready for bed, he's like, God, like just insane. <laughs> so, so I had uh, pasta for 16 years. Pasta died um, about a year and a half ago. 
I got a kitten named Tater Tots. This is where it's heartbreaking. So I finished my cat book. Um, Pasta died literally, I don't know, six months before it was published, maybe. I can't even remember the full timeline. But like she was there with me the entire writing of it. But I don't think she saw it actually come out because the publishing date kept getting pushed back. But she's a big part of that book and a real big part of where like my love-hate relationship with cats really is. And then I got Tater Tots as a kitten, the best kitten. Although I will put some context that he died a month later. So maybe he was just sick and he couldn't be a full kitten. And again, I might just not like kittens yeah. because, because I'm like, he's so chill. But now after he died, he was three months old and um, I had him for a month. I was like, all right, I can't put him on this pedestal as the best kitten. He might've just been fighting for his life and didn't have the energy to destroy things. So he died. That was horrible. Like that was, you know, I literally lost two cats in five months and was an absolute mess. Um, and then I waited for kitten season. I kind of healed my heart a bit, mm. waited for kitten season and got abs. His full name is revenge abs. So that might be where a lot of his crazy comes from. It's like, you can't name me revenge abs and think I'm not going to have the craziest personality. <laughs> but I got him in at the end of May, right when my touring was starting to slow down. And that was just, it just, I think I just like being, having, like taking care of something, having something to complain about. Like, I think my life was too good. And I just, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was just, what am I going to yell at all day? Like, who am I going to blame my problems on? Like, I, I have enough therapy to know that I can't blame others, but you can always blame a pet. And I think that's <laughs> the real reward of having them. Like, oh, sorry, I'm late. My cat was being crazy. Or, hey, I got to go home. I got to go feed my cat. Or, oh, I didn't sleep well because of my cat. It's never, I didn't, this is not my fault. This <laughs> is my cat's fault. So that's really like my pitch on having pets is like, you can just always blame. And they never go to therapy and tell on you. <laughs> that's true. You know, like it, it's, they do provide a lot of excuses and they're not going to give you, you know, I mean, they will destroy your stuff, but like they won't. Of course. <laughs> all my sinks have fur in them now. Like that's, come on guys. Somebody goes to wash their hands and they're like, why is your sink furry? And you're like, don't ask questions. <laughs> yeah. It's not your business, but my cat does. Yeah. Time. That's, that's his third bed. <laughs> So this book is like, it's so many books wrapped up into one, like you have, yes, the cat jokes, but also there's a lot of like useful cat information, like both cat history and tips for living with them and raising them and like understanding them. And so I'm wondering, like, what were your sources for learning like the history and stuff? Was it like just accumulated through your life or did you do like additional research while you were writing? So some of it's like instinctual, like you're like, this seems like something everybody relates to. So let's go down a rabbit hole and find out why. So I think, I think it started out with just like kind of curiosity. And then some of it's talking to my parents, some stuff my parents knew, some stuff they were like, I don't know. Um, and so then it turned into like more research, reading certain books, finding certain websites, watching some documentaries and trying to like, at least have a couple of different resources that all agree that this is why cats are like this. I think there's some stuff that I I missed and I found out later, I can't, I don't think it's in the book, but like I found out um, kind of like a scandalous fact about cats, which is like, you know, when um, uh, a mom has a litter and it's like, let's say the cat's black and then they have like a white cat, a tabby, a black and white cat, an orange cat. And I just thought it was like, you know, you just don't know what you get. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like a little bit of a grab bag of colors because it's, it's not a breed. It's just a color. You know what I mean? They're all kind of domestic short hairs and they're all kind most cats are kind of mutts unless you go and get yourself like 
a Scottish fold or whatever weird breed they do have, but it's not true. Basically, um, uh, the, we can only get pregnant once. It's like, literally there's like a couple of cases where that's not true, but you know, once you're pregnant, you're pregnant, they can get pregnant multiple times by multiple partners. And so their, their, their fertility is a window. I don't, I forget what the window is, but let's just pretend the window is a week. Mm. Um, and if they have sex with multiple cats, different cats over that time, it can, that litter could have four dads. And that's why one is black and white. That's why one is orange. And, and I was like, these sluts, like, I was like, what? Like, but I was like, that's something I never even like knew to like knew to even ask or whatever. Like, like I learned a couple of stuff that I hadn't learned. And then I got more information on some stuff, but that was like, like, that's where I'm like, I got to write another book. Like, <laughs> that's fascinating. So every like male cat in the wild is basically like Nick Cannon, just trying to have as many babies as they possibly can. Like, yeah, but she's also trying to have as many babies. Like, you know what I mean? Because like, mm-hmm. like, I just assumed that like, so that's why you would have like a cat would have a litter of just one cat sometimes. But mm-hmm. also like, I mean, you can have a litter of like multiple cats, I think from one pregnancy, but regardless, that multiply colored litter could be because it has like, four. I just think of them on like Jerry Springer and they're like, you're the dad and you're the dad and you're the dad. Like, <laughs> my gosh, that is so interesting. And I like, I never knew that. Like, and there's so I never knew to ask. I don't know. I just, you know, I just thought they were, <clears throat> they were colorful. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought that was just like a complete happenstance of nature. Um, God, that is so interesting. <laughs> um, you also talk a lot about like uh, cats in Egyptian history, which like we all know about like the connections about uh, between like ancient Egyptian culture and the role that cats played. But it went so much deeper than I even knew. Like, so you talk about how it was illegal to kill cats in Egypt, which really shows like how much they were valued. Um, like, did you have fun like looking into this stuff? And like, was there anything that you else that you like learned that you didn't know before you set out to like write this what's interesting is I was obsessed with Egypt when I was a kid because I was such a little cat lady kid that I had all these Egyptian books and there was like a lot of stuff that I kind of knew and loved about that part of the history and my best friend's Egyptian so like even like she got this for me in Egypt and it's still like on my desk, like this little, I love, I love him so much. So like, there's still this kind of dorky, like history, like, and going to Egypt for work, for doing stand up and stuff. Like I've, I've just always felt very connected because it felt like they get me, they get my personality, at least historically. Um, God, I, I think I just took what I already knew about them valuing cats and how they perceived cats. Um, and just deeper level. Like, I don't think I knew that they, that it was illegal to kill a cat. Like I knew things like they, you know, um, uh, the people would be buried with their cats because they wanted them in their afterlife or, or like the mourning of cats and them having their own pyramids and stuff like that. So I think I knew those like kind of basic level, but this, um, research just made me kind of understand that it was like governmentally, you know, Mm set you know what I mean in a way that that we we have rule like we have our own rules about how you should treat animals but not to this extent you know what I mean like we're clearly anti-dog abuse and animal abuse but like this is like a level where you're just like oh this is this is holding it above people in some sense like 
like this is an insult to like the government if you <laughs> and yeah like, yeah like and it just makes me and I, I touch on it a little bit in a book but it just makes me sad when I think of some places like Australia now killing a lot of their stray cat population because they say it's killing their wild birds but you're like guys history like then you kill all the cats and then you have a rat problem and then everybody's like we have a rat problem like nobody could see that coming from every you know thing in history so it's just like I get kind of annoyed with how flippant people are about cats. And I think I wanted to show how important they were. Like I learned a lot about the fact, like I knew about, you know, I talk about bodega cats cause they're my, my favorite breed of cat, just cats that sleep on bread and, you know, but, but they literally, we have rules in New York about clearly cleanliness and hygiene and all this stuff, but it's cats are allowed to be in bodegas cause they're actually really efficient pest control. Mm -hmm. free and efficient pest control, whether you like a cat or not, every bodega has one. So then also to trace back that history of working cats, which is never talked about where they were on boats and how important they were to keeping, you know, sailors and people that were out sea safe or the fact that they were like, um, accidentally domesticated because they were already coming on farms and take and, and they knew that like the vermin would go after the vegetables. So they would go after the vermin and the farmers were like, cool, I see you. I appreciate you. Let me know if you need anything like so I really think we've over the years downplayed how important they are to society. And, you know, my pasta was actually a really good hunter and she killed a lot of mice, especially somebody that lives in New York. We'll see what abs does right now. He's mostly attacking my ankle. Um, I'm like not the enemy, bud. Um, <laughs> but but I, unless you have an outdoor cat, I think most cats, most most pet, cat owners can't even see how good they are at their job because we haven't given them the opportunity. Hmm. Yeah, that is so true. And I think that like you talk a lot about like the sort of like anti-cat uh, propaganda and messaging that you sort of like see. And I do think that like people tend to create this binary of like, oh, dogs are hardworking and they love you and like they really love you unconditionally, whereas cats are lazy and they just like don't care about you. But I think they just kind of like approach the work differently, you know, like they're just kind of yeah. like chill about it and they do fulfill a really important role in society. But I, I to your point, I think it's also we talk about love languages in this society. So what is your love language? Are you, you know, a, 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 words of affirmation or gifts or whatever? And you're supposed to learn your love language. People are supposed to learn other people's love language, but the same is true for pets. So I think it's really easy with dogs. They're kind of, they kind of wear their love language on their fur. And it's just like you, a baby knows how to like communicate with a dog, but it takes a bit more work with the cat. And even more so, like I had a friend, her husband had snakes and I'm, I'm not one of those anti-snake people, but I'm also not a like, they're my best friend. <laughs> so I was staying with them for a while during the pandemic and he puts the snake on my arm and it's like a medium sized snake. And he goes, Oh, he likes you. And I go, Oh, how, how do you know that? He goes, well, the way he's kind of rapping and the way he squeezes and he starts to kind of explain the behavior of the snake while I'm holding it. And all of a sudden I found myself being like, he's cute. Like, I like him. Like, we're best friends because he was explaining what his love language is the same way that I look at a turtle and I go, why would anybody get a turtle? But like, I've had friends tell me that like they show affection in different ways or the fact that they would follow you or whatever it is. But like cats have different love languages and you can't, what is that? I'm going to butcher this saying. If you, if you judge a fish on its ability to fly, you'll forever, you know, it's like that. I'm not, I'm not dumb enough. I'm too dumb to finish it. But like, 
that same idea where it's just like, they're not dogs. They're mm -hmm. just not, but there's so many lovable things. I mean, I just posted something in my stories yesterday that my cat was in my sink while I was doing my makeup. And I was like, the, the best part of having a pet is realizing uh, is having someone give you company in places that you never knew you wanted company. Like <laughs> I do. I like having a friend while I do my makeup. I, I find it. I like putting on makeup, but I also find it really boring or like, you know, there's a bunch of, there's like a trend on TikTok for a while. That's like, you can see a girl's knees and you can tell she's on the toilet. It's like very, you know, reserved, but like you see that she's on the toilet and she just pans to a cat and she goes, how does anybody poop without a cat watching them? <laughs> and it was like all these women on TikTok were doing it. And I was like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really done anything in a bathroom without a cat like, <laughs> to the point where sometimes I get worried. Cause I'll be in the bathroom, like doing my skincare regimen. And I'm like, oh my God, I think my cat's dead. Like she, she's not, he's not here. What's happening. So it's like, you know, he follows and stares at me. And apparently I find that endearing, <laughs> uh, you know, like you might not, you know, according to our perception, be like very expressive about it, but they're taking an interest in what you do and they're keeping you company. Like they do express these things in their own way. Um, one of the things I love that you talk about was sort of like the specific kind of bias against black cats. Cause I also, at one point in my cat history owned a black cat and he was like the friendliest, most lovable cat, like in the world. And so much gets blamed on them, you know, whether it's like bad luck or whatever, but like, they're really intensely lovable. Um, and I even, you know, I read something else when I was like reading about your book that like black cats are still like under adopted because they're like not as photogenic as like lighter colored cats. And that's like yeah. such a sad reason, like for, for so, a cat to get adopted. Yeah. So it's the stereotypes that they're black luck, uh, bad luck. Um, uh, the stereotypes that they're not as friendly. So they are under, under adopted, more likely to be put down, um, more likely to like be given away, like, you know, like would have the same behaviors as another cat. And they might be like, I don't want this cat. Um, and then you're right that they're, they're harder to photograph. Although I had so much fun with pasta because I would take a picture and all you would see is their eyes. And I had all these like Batman references, like, or like the fact that I'd take a picture and you would just see two eyes in the background. I'd be like, there, again, another really fun trend that came out after she was gone that was like um, the likelihood of being killed by a cat is slim, but never zero. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. And it's just a cat from the distance looking at you. But I have so many pictures of like my old apartment. It was like a long hallway and then the bathroom and the bathroom door was just kind of open. And she she loved watching me shower. She would go through between the curtain, just like a little mountain lion, just pacing back and forth. But she just loved kind of being on that that tub sill and sitting there. So the amount of times I looked down and my cat's just peeking out from behind the curtain. And it was just the funniest, most kind of demon looking picture. But like, this is a projection you're putting on. Like, I know she's the cutest thing in the world, but like anybody else would be like, that's spooky. And you're like, how is that spooky? What's spooky about it? She's she just is good. She just wants to high five when you come into the bathroom. But, <laughs> but I think these superstitions, these things that we carry on for generations to generations, you know, it, they're silly. And like you get older and you realize they're silly, but there's some people the same way that like, think about a lot of religions have a lot of kind of like weird voodoo-y stuff and we're just supposed to accept it. And you're just like, cool, dude, if you want to believe in magic, by all means, but you know, there's good cats and bad cats, just like there's good people and bad people. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's, I also think when you have a crappy cat, 
you raised it. It was around you, man. Like, I don't have to tell you, it sounds like you're a bad cat mom. Mm -hmm. Like, I just think that you give something love, love comes out of it. If you give something hate, you know, and you're also, there was, um, there was a tweet. It's not my tweet, but there was a tweet. Um, I saw that was like, uh, do you not like cats or do you, could you, can you not just hand, can you not handle rejection? Mm. <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing where it's just like, they're not going to love you the way you always want to be loved. But if you learn their love language, if you learn how they love you, you'll, you'll grow, you'll connect. And so right now my kitten doesn't really love to be pet, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Like it's just like he, we found, we found when we found when, which is like, they say with cats, you should have a routine. So because I come in and out of the apartment, I'm gone a lot during the night. When I come in, the first thing I do, I hang up my keys, kick off my shoes. I scoop them up and I hold them like a baby and I scratch under his neck and his tummy. And I go, this is our routine. Like just been doing it for seven months. And he always lets me pet him that way. I'll carry him. Sometimes if I'm like, I need to take off this makeup. Like I always carry him with him. But if I try to, if he sits on my lap and we're like, which is very rare right now, he sits on my lap. I'm watching TV. First of all, I'm just like, no, like, cool. This is what I get for not peeing when I had to pee. I'm like, nobody move, nobody breathe. But I do, I do one little pet. He looks at me and I go, you're right. That was, that was disrespectful. I knew you didn't want that. And then we just sit and we enjoy each other's company. Hmm. But it's like, there's times he'll let me do it, but it's also about like, that's not what he wants right now. The same way that sometimes you're like, you come home and like I had roommates forever and they would want to talk and I'd be like, I don't want to snap at you, but I'm just not in the mood to talk. And I told you, I told you. So if you come in and I say something bitchy, I gave you that information and yeah. you decided to ignore it. Yeah. They have like healthy boundaries. And I think people either like respect that about cats or like kind of resent them for it, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like, Boundaries can be hard for like humans to maintain, especially like if you're, you know, like a human like me who has been in therapy to develop boundaries, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I tend to admire it. Like, I think it's really cool that they communicate like what they don't want and what they do want. Yeah. And, like, it just makes communication easier, you know? <laughs> I'm like, why are you so soft then? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, you're just flirt your tease. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And you never know where the relationship will go either, you know, because like, as you said about pasta, like it took her some time to sort of like develop a kind of comfort. And because you also never know what happened to them, like while they were on the street, you know, like before yeah. they came to you, they like might have some legit trust issues to work through before they kind of get to that with you. So absolutely. And then like, even just learning that it can be really, um, what's the right word? Um, taking in too much, like it just could be too much for them. Like it, like overwhelming. And you don't think that because you're like, well, I like when somebody I love, you know, pets me or, or, you know, gives me a hug or whatever, but like, for whatever reason, it can be, it can be, um, just overwhelm them. Yeah. So it's just like, when you know, that information, you're like, why would you do that to a friend? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like they are just good at preventing, I think their own, like sensory discomfort, you know, like yeah. <laughs> sensory even, overload. That's really oh, what it is. Yes, yeah. That, yeah. Sensory overload. And like, cause we all kind of experience that too. Like we could love being hugged like 99% of the time, but like if somebody catches a, us when we just got like horrible news or if like, you know, like we might not welcome it like in that exact moment. And they're just very healthy about how they communicate that stuff to us. I feel like so. hundred percent. So do you think you'll ever write about cats again? Do you see yourself writing another book ever? Um, 
Yes and yes. So I actually wrote a script, a historical fiction script about cats. It's actually more about women and their associations to cats. And it was due to a lot of research in the 60s. So that is a script that I got picked up by a production company and we'll see what happens with it. But then I'm a little worried that it might not go further. So I'm actually thinking about taking this historical fiction idea that I came up with and I did a crap ton of research during the pandemic and I might try to turn it into a novel. That is like a big if. So the first thing I'm is done and I'm proud of it and we'll see what happens if it goes any further. But mm -hmm. if for whatever reason, Hollywood is like, no, thank you. I really love the idea and I think it's really unique. And so I'm trying to, and this is like genuinely like thought of it a, a week ago. And I told my mom, which me and my mom are big readers and we've read a lot of the same novels. And I told her and she was like, oh, that'd be so great. I was like, mom, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, you went to school for it. I was like, I forget everything I learned. And she's like, what? <laughs> but like the type of writing I do is so different from what a novel would be. Like my script writing, I've written a couple of different scripts and, um, even this book writing is kind of a mix of like research and essays. I think it's more um, autobiographical and more um, uh, n clearly nonfiction in a lot of ways. Um, and like opt-ed pieces, like the whole naming chapter is more like an opt-ed opinion piece as opposed to a novel is like, well, whose perspective is this and how do I present each character? And so I, as somebody that loves reading, I would be honest that I haven't read a novel, God, in maybe over a year, you know what I mean? I've actually read more stuff on like more essays and more memoirs and more um, um, just nonfiction writing so that I literally went, the first thing I thought of is, did you read Water for Elephants? Yes, yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved it, I thought it was so good. And because that is historical fiction and it's about animals and it's mm -hmm. like, um, the woman did so much research that I that was the first book that I was like, oh, I remember reading that. It's still one of my favorite novels. And I recommended it to everyone. And clearly it did well. I think they turned it into a movie. But that was my first thing that was like, oh, if I could write something as good as that. So I think I'm going to reread that just for like, how would I approach this as a book? So like I do and I will. I don't think I would write it in the, the same capacity that I wrote Why Cats Are Assholes. But I think it, I just I think about them all the time and I love them and they're important to me. And I think they'll always have some little basis in everything I write. Oh, that's like, that's so great to hear. Cause yeah, I love cats too. And it's really nice to, to hear from someone else who loves them, but like in a realistic way, like, cause you know, yeah. where we started was that like people either love or hate them. And like you celebrate like a very integrated, realistic view of cats and why we should still love them. So thank you so much for talking to us. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Okay, listeners, you can pick up Why Cats Are Assholes. And I think this is like the first time I've ever cursed on my own show. So <laughs> landmark. <laughs> you can pick it up at your favorite independent bookstore or your favorite library, wherever you like to hang out. And for now, it's time to close this chapter. Thank you. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.